Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of the Sound and Worship podcast. My name is Justin and today we're going to be talking about the discipline of worship. Uh, It's from a book called Disciplines of a Godly Man. Now, if you're not a man, if you're a woman, don't worry because it really the entire chapter applies to to women as well. Feel free to stay along with us. Um, the reason that I'm doing this is we are actually going through this book at my local church, um, and I was just asked to lead the discussion on this chapter. The book is called Disciplines of a Godly Man by R. Kent Hughes. Uh, there's a endorsement on the back from John MacArthur, uh, which says Hughes fills a gaping void with this superb volume. If there is a spark of spiritual desire in your soul, this book will surely kindle it into a blazing passion for godly discipline. So, pretty good endorsement. Uh, and of course, I'm not going to just read the book verbatim, the entire uh, chapter, because honestly, that would be boring and... I'm not even sure if that's like something that you can do uh, legally, that is. But what I have today is just some of the key points that I I liked in the chapter. Uh, You know, I wouldn't even say that. Of course, it's a book, right? It's it's not infallible. It's not the Word of God. But there were some great points in it. And uh, so it made me think about some, some worship aspects of my life that I really hadn't thought of. So... I thought, you know, you know what? I put a, a few hours into preparing this for uh, leading that discussion, so should be some pretty good content. So let's let's get into it. All right, so I am going to read the first two paragraphs and, you know, just to cite this, uh, this is from R. Kent Hughes' book, Disciplines of a Godly Man, and it's in chapter nine, and it starts off with this crazy story, and really, you know, if you follow Sound and Worship and have been on the up and up about some of these NAR groups, uh, this really, this story really won't surprise you a lot, but Nevertheless, it is really strange. The chapter starts. The feature article of the October 1978 issue of Harper's Magazine entitled Trendier Than Thou reported that Kilmer Myers, then Episcopal Bishop of California, had welcomed San Francisco Bay Area transcendentalists to the Gothic splendor of Grace Cathedral for nature festivals and pagan ceremonies. The article went on to report. And this is a quote straight from that article. It says, During one nature ceremony in the cathedral, a decidedly ecumenical audience watched reverently as the poet Allen Ginsberg, wearing a deer mask, joined others similarly garbed to ordain Senators Allen Cranston and John Tunney as godfathers of animals. So right off the bat, it's very strange. Cranston, (laughs) and I love how it they they wanted to make sure we know who was given what animal, but it says Cranston of the Tool Elk and Tunney 
of the California brown bear. It says later on, while movie projectors simultaneously cast images of buffalo herds and other endangered species on the walls and ceilings to the accompaniment of rock music. So that's very strange. Uh, it goes on basically later on to say that a lot of the Episcopal priests uh, were not thrilled about that. Um, pretty much what that was saying. Uh, but I guess some were showing support of it, which is really interesting. But the point I made in the discussion was that, you know, if you're familiar with what Bethel does, while that does sound weird, and I understand how, you know, there's there's a parallel there, kind of, you know, in this case, there was a deer mask. For some reason, the logo for Bethel is a deer, like a deer icon. I, I don't understand that. Specifically a buck. Not sure, but just comparing that to some of the stuff that Bethel has done, like the Gandalf staff where they, they all got on stage, a lot of the Bethel leaders, and grabbed a, a staff and slammed it on the ground and, and said, Thou shalt not pass, just like uh, Gandalf and Lord of the Rings. And they were doing that to end racism. I don't think that's how that works, but that's what they tried. Uh, other bizarre behavior from Bethel is uh, gold dust and angel feathers falling from their ceiling. Uh, they're just in there acting like that's happening. Uh, fire tunnels where people walk through uh, a tunnel made by people's arms standing on both sides. And you just, whenever they touch you, you start shaking and falling out on the floor and stuff like that. Of course, they have the School of Supernatural Ministry which I can only assume uh, or imagine what goes on in there. It's got to be pretty crazy. So, really interesting. The question I asked, and of course you can't answer me back, was, has anyone encountered or heard of an event like this happening at a church? Um, I haven't, thankfully, <laughs> I haven't seen anything quite that crazy. I did visit while I was in college one Sunday this was way back in the day. Uh, I, I'm probably sound younger than I am, but I, I visited the Pentecostal church, and of course there was a woman pastor, which was odd. Obviously, uh, you know where I stand there uh, with a complementarian view, but she sounded really gruff as well. It's like she she talks like this, you know. It, it was it was really strange, and then. I think myself and maybe one or two other people were like the only people that didn't go up front and have some kind of crazy experience or, you know, it was wild. Um, it, it's similar to what would happen at Bethel. Uh, and then another thing at a church that I attended in the past, the pastor would call one side of the building the dark side because the lights were dimmed, you know, because that's what you do in contemporary music these days is you have to set the mood and get it just a little dark and, uh, you know, make everyone comfortable. Some other uh, churches even bring out the fog machine, which is really strange to me. But, yeah, he, he called that side the dark side. And I know that he was joking, but it's church. I mean, that's really not that funny. The next part here. If I go to uh, page 138 of his book, and starting in the third paragraph, it says, 
why this confusion and tragic failure regarding worship? And he's referencing that crazy event um, and really just worship overall in our churches. He said, why this confusion and tragic failure regarding worship? The answer lies in another question. Why do we worship? Is it for God or for man? The unspoken but increasingly common assumption of today's Christendom is that worship is primarily for us to meet our needs. Worship services driven by this assumption are entertainment-focused, and worshipers are uncommitted spectators who are silently silently grading the performance. Wow, that's, that's very true. It's all about, you know, a lot of the guys in, in the uh, discussion, and I'm so thankful for them because I am an awkward discussion leader. Uh, I would rather give a speech to 10,000 people who could not respond to me uh, than, uh, you know, lead a discussion. It was a great time to grow, and I hope to be able to do it again in the future because that would be a great area to improve in. But I'm telling you, without those guys, it would have been awkward. They they made some great points. One of the guys was saying that, you know, at a lot of these churches, it's like, hey, have a seat when you come in and grab your popcorn because we're about to entertain you. And that's just really not at all what it's about. But I don't know. A lot of you who are listening can probably relate to that. Very, very strange behavior uh, that is not biblical. Another point that he made, he said, such preaching at these churches, that is, such preaching is always topical and never textual. Biblical information is minimized, and the sermons are short and full of stories. How true is that? Uh, A lot of times when a church doesn't take their worship music uh, portion of their worship service seriously, as well as the other parts of worship, um, even the sacraments, it it's all oftentimes that the sermon is not that good either. Y- you know, uh, I'm not here to say that every topical sermon is bad, but even in a topical sermon, the word of God should be exposited because we're not there to glean the wisdom of man. We're here to hear what the Word of God says and hear it exposited, uh, you know, expose what the Word of God says and use that to teach uh, a topic. That That's that's fair game. And so the question I posed on that is, why do you think topical sermons follow churches that do not take worship seriously? And really, honestly, I don't know that I actually got to ask that question. Like I said, the guys were taking the discussion and just making it great uh, I wish I could have recorded that, you know, got permission to record it and and have it sounding good. Um, but I personally don't have that technology to bring somewhere like that. Uh, but it was really good, as always. Uh, but how would you answer that question if you're listening? You know, do you think it's just if a church is failing in one area as, as far as worship, you know, the sermon's probably not going to be that good either. Although I have heard of of uh, sermons that were good, and they would fight the music, basically, like the sermon, the message of the sermon would have uh, great uh, exposition of the Word of God, but the music would be full of uh, lyrics that are not even true, that are me-centered from sources that 
uh, means something really strange by what they're saying in their lyrics. So it's like a struggle. Uh, it's like for some reason the pastor just it either isn't aware or just doesn't care. Uh, and a lot of times the argument I hear is, you know, well, we look at the lyrics. Um, that's basically all we do. If the lyrics are good, then we sing it. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. There's obviously, I, we have covered that so many times. There's a whole worship music objection series. If you scroll back just a little bit on your podcast app, it wasn't that long ago. And we go through all those arguments and how that really doesn't make any sense. Anyways, staying on topic here, going to page 139, it says, The telltale sign of this kind of thinking is the common post-worship question. And I, I really thought these questions were good. It says, What did you think of the service today? And you might be thinking, Yeah, I've asked that question. Um, yeah, you know, I didn't mean anything bad by it. But what comes next are the actual questions we should be asking. It says, What did God think of it and of those who worshiped? And what did I give to God? It's so easy to forget that in going to worship, our main concern should be to worship in spirit and truth, John 4.24, not to receive a lift for ourselves. So, really good stuff there. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of times we think it's about us, but it's just not. It's not about us. Hey, I want to take a bit of a break here for just a second and just talk about this podcast called Revive Thoughts. Uh, it's a, a part of Revive Studios. And it's really a, a great uh, podcast that you should check out. I'm going to play a couple of clips from Revive Thoughts. I had the privilege of narrating on this last episode. The guys, Troy and Joel over there, had some really nice things to say about sound and worship. I really appreciate it. You should check out their content. Here's a couple of clips from the latest episode. Every episode, we bring you a different voice from history and a sermon that they delivered today. The address we're hearing is entitled Preaching and Scholarship. It was delivered by A.T. Robertson in the year 1890. Uh, but one thing I'm always surprised by on Revive Thoughts is how many different ways you can preach and be effective and how there is not one style that God has has historically used. And there may be like some common elements, I think like not compromising on the truth and being courageous and kind of going to the heart of the matter with people and being very firm in what you believe. I think those things count, but there are so many different ways you can do that. You know, you can be imaginative. You can use stories and weave these really great illustrations together. You can just be almost grammatical, like a school teacher right through the text. There are just all these different styles people have used, and yet they were all considered really great preachers. Their congregations loved them and they learned from them. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Revive Thoughts. Today's sermon was narrated by Justin Scott Ray. Justin Ray, always a pleasure to have on the show. He's the founder of the Sound and Worship website, soundandworship.com, the Facebook group and podcast that focuses on sound worship. He also has a website designed to point Christians to worship music from theologically sound sources. 
Yeah, Justin Ray, if you remember his name, you've heard him uh, maybe in our episode Samuel P. Jones, Quit Your Meanness, which is a favorite of mine, or E.Y. Mullins' uh, episode on a riot. that was He preached right after a riot happened in town to encourage people not to riot. So there's just a couple episodes. Um, if, you, if you've heard his voice, you might remember him from... Uh, and we really encourage you to check out Justin. Justin's been a big help to the show. And people are always, I, I'm I, whenever I'm on social media, I think I, I see a post like this every day somewhere where someone says, you know what, where can I find good worship music? Or where can I find good Christian music? And that's literally what Justin does. He, he puts together playlists and stuff like that of music that people can enjoy. He runs a podcast where he talks about worship music. I mean, this is his bread and butter. So if you're one of those people who's out there looking for more Christian music or looking for new worship music or looking for solid sources of music, something you can play for the kids. I don't know what you're looking for, but go check out soundandworship.com. Go check his stuff out. All the links will be in the episode description, and we really hope that you'll go check his stuff out because I think you will find some really good stuff there. This is Troy and Joel, and this is Revive Thoughts. Y'all, that's an awesome podcast. Go check it out. Uh, there's a sermon that is revived every episode. Also, check out the other content over at Revive Studios. It is definitely, definitely worth checking out. Moving on. Going to the next page here, page 140. All right. And the paragraph is paragraph two. It says, A look at the massive emphasis on worship in the Old Testament reveals God's mind on worship's priority. Exodus devotes 25 chapters to the construction of the tabernacle, the locus of divine worship. Leviticus amounts to a 27-chapter liturgical manual, and the Psalms are a spectacular 150-chapter worship hymnal. Divine worship has always been the occupation and sustenance, the priority of the believing soul. Again, this is from the book, Disciplines of a Godly Man. And in particularly in chapter nine, uh, which is focused on worship. But I just thought about that. Uh, can you imagine being those psalm writers, being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write perfect, perfect uh, music, per- perfect lyrics? And of course, you know, we probably use the, the term lyric different nowadays, but can you imagine that? I mean, you and I, are, we're not going to write perfect lyrics. You know, it, I guess it's possible, right? But these were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And we have 150 of them in uh, the Word of God. And Brian Emerson, if he's listening, he would be like, yes, yeah, sing the Psalms. Uh, that's the one thing that we know we can sing from the, from the Bible. Uh, we know for sure that we can sing the Psalms. So... Shout out to Brian. Next thing, moving on to page 141 here and the fourth paragraph. Now, this does say men. It's addressed towards men. And this is talking about the divine presence. Uh, Now, one thing I hit on in the discussion was that the NAR groups like to use the word presence as well. So you really have to make sure of uh, what you're talking about here. But it's really just expecting or just knowing that the Lord is there um, as the body gathers, knowing that the Lord, He's uh, omnipresent. He is always with us. And we can't just show up and just be nonchalant about worship. We we ought to be really 
engaged and, and worshiping God because he's worthy to be praised. But it says, men, when we meet for corporate worship, Christ is in our midst. He walks along the glowing lampstands of his churches. And uh, the author, Arkett Hughes, cites Revelation 1.20 and 2.1. He treads the aisles of our churches and sits beside us. He searches for those who worship in spirit and truth. He desires our praise. And that's a poetic way of putting that. But a lot of times I think we can be guilty of not wanting to or not really entering the church and just kind of going through the motions, right? Not really thinking that about worshiping God. And that's that's awful to hear, but I think we've all been guilty of that at some point, uh, whether it be in the car ride, you know, on the way to church, and one of, one of the <laughs> two people um, who are married, like either spouse, is late, and one spouse is talking to the other spouse about, why are you late? Uh, and then it can turn into an argument, and then everyone's in a bad mood, and then you walk into church, and you're just smiling from ear to ear like everything's all right. Maybe you're perfect, and that's never happened to you, but most people and the guys in the group were confessing that, that had, that's definitely happened to them as well. Um, so it, it's it's something that we have to prepare for. And I think coming into these next sections here, preparation. Now, he, uh, the author hits on some really good stuff there. Going to page 142. I'm not going to read that entire paragraph, but it, it's really just talking about Saturday preparation. Uh, and one of the, the examples he gives is setting out your clothes the night before. And you might be thinking, I mean, that's such a simple thing to do. But if you're someone who's late to church or cutting it close, uh, even just to avoid having to rush on Sunday morning, if you were to do simple things like setting your clothes out uh, the night before, picking out your clothes, I know for the ladies out there, that can be more difficult than it is for men because uh, we, we just grab uh, you know, a pair of khakis and a polo shirt, or, you know, depending on what kind of church you go to, you might uh, dress up a little bit more than that, or maybe even a little more down than that. But it's really easy for us. But I know you ladies have to find the perfect dress and that kind of thing. Uh, maybe not every lady. And that's, you know, I, I can't act like I'm a lady and know what's, you know, the struggles that you face in that area. But, um, it might save you some time, men or women. Uh, just set your clothes out. Uh, we actually did it um, last last night. I'm recording this on Sunday, so I'm recording this, and then in just a couple of hours, it'll be live. So this is like really close to live. But you can set some clothes out and um, save yourself. You know, the five to ten minutes it takes to pick out your clothes on Sunday morning. Uh, it's stuff like that can, that can allow you to relax on the way to church. You might even, uh, instead of getting into a discussion on why we're late again or why we're cutting it close, you might actually be able to listen to some good, solid worship music on the way to church or a, a podcast or something like that that's uh, a Christian podcast that's, that's sound, that's really preparing your mind for worship and, and getting you into the right mindset. It's all about preparation. And it just seems like it's such a, a simple thing to do. But there's a quote here from a Puritan 
named George Swinock, he says, Prepare to meet thy God, O Christian. Betake thyself to thy chamber on the Saturday night. The oven of thine heart thus baked, as it were, overnight, would be easily heated the next morning. The fire so well raked up when thou wentest to bed would be the sooner kindled when thou shouldest rise. If thou wouldest leave thy heart with God on the Saturday night, thou shouldest find it with him in the Lord's day morning. He's speaking of getting prepared for Sunday as well. Really, really interesting stuff. Skip it on a little bit. It talks about worshiping in truth and then in spirit. Uh, something we've talked about before, but worshiping God for who he is. Um, you know, he's got a, a paragraph here. It says, worshiping in truth means that we come informed by the objective revelation of God's word about the great God we serve and the precepts he has spoken. So singing the truth of God. Uh, it's important that our lyrics are true, right? And in spirit, one thing he noted, which was interesting to me, he says, besides worshiping in stupendous truth, we worship in spirit. Notice the small s John 4.24 is referring to our human spirits, the inner person. True worship flows from the inside out. Worship is not an external activity, but it is of a necessity first internal. Jesus warned uh, hypocrites with the words of Isaiah. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. And he cites that that's Mark 7, 6-7, quoting Isaiah 29, 13. I thought that was a really interesting point. And I just asked the group why the lyrics matter and, you know, some of the truths that we can sing and think about God as we're singing worship to Him. Really thought that was really interesting. The next part uh, that, I, that I really liked was, uh, it was page 144, if, in case you have like paused the podcast and bought the book and like turned the podcast back on, that'd be pretty dedicated. But there's a section called the discipline of worship. And a point that he made here, I'll read uh, the first couple of paragraphs of that section. It says, it is the Lord's day. You have come to church to worship God in spirit and truth. You are in church to give him worth, worthship, as the English word properly means. What now? Here again, the word that is the theme of this book comes to center stage, discipline. It is of great significance that one of the two most prominent words denoting worship in the New Testament is the word latreu, which means to work or serve. This tells us implicitly that worship involves work, discipline work. It is from this word that liturgy is derived, for liturgy is one's work in worship. And I had not thought about that. Uh, it, at least to any sort of uh, substantial extent. And I, I thought that was a really good point to make. And, and the question that I posed was, what does it mean that we are having to put in some work for worship in a worship service? And there are several things. Um, the author, you know, he, he outlines an order of service and he explains that it, obviously it's not like a perfect order of service. It's not like the only way things can be done. Uh, but he has a uh, prelude announcements. And he's got the call to worship and invocation, the Apostles' Creed, the Gloria Petri, 
um, which he's got also as the doxology, hymns, the anthem, and I'm not exactly sure what he means by that, but he says silence and congregational prayer, the tithes, tithes and offerings, scripture, the sermon. And one of the, the points that I really thought was was really good was he uh, he's talking about how you know your pastor uh, the elder that is preaching that day uh how much preparation he is putting in and you know he he has a good uh, a good point here he says keep your bible open and follow the textual argument look up the references mentioned take notes identify the theme list the subpoints and applications Ask God to help you see exactly where he wants you to apply the scriptures being preached to your life. And it, especially speaking of the work in worship, um, that that really stuck out to me. It, it, it can be possible, and uh, I'm sure you've done this at some point in your life as well, where you're in a, a sermon and your mind is just wondering, maybe you've had a really tough week, and you're just you're focusing on other things and you shouldn't be um i've been there and you instead of listening to every word that the preacher says you're you're listening a little bit and then your mind wanders off to you know how am i gonna uh get the kids here on tuesday uh, you know we only have um two cars and uh, my spouse is driving the one and uh, the other one's you know it's broke down or um, you know, how am I going to pay for this bill because I don't get paid till Friday and this is a really huge medical bill and, and blah, 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 right? Um, you're, I think it's really, really great and it's really the only way to go about this as a work in worship is to pay very close attention the entire time. I understand things happen. You may have, uh, you know, you may have to step out for a second or something like that. Things come up, but to really follow every word that your pastor is preaching, comparing it to Scripture, and just remembering what your pastor is is saying and is expositing. Because your pastor is working for hours and hours on a sermon. He's going through it. Now, this is if you have a really good pastor. He's, uh, he's studying several sources, especially the Word of God and reading commentary and He's he's preparing a sermon. He's he's preparing to exposit the word to the congregation so that they can take it and learn it. One of the things that my pastor pastor noted today was that he gives out a handout of notes, uh, whether you're a note taker or not, and it's it's just an easy way to follow the sermon, and then you can take that home and and you know go over it again, and you can learn how to to share the message that he shared with others in your life. Um, I just thought that was a really neat point. But really, you can't come to a worship service and just think, yeah, I'm here. Uh, it's time for me to be served now. Um, you know, like, like I was saying earlier, uh, where's my popcorn? Because it, it's time for me to be entertained. And that's just not at all what it's about. You do have to work in worship. I know different denominations have different liturgies, and um, yeah, no, not going to get into that. Obviously, uh, if, you know, Baptists are pretty boring. Honest, honestly, probably in comparison to a lot of denominations. But 
no matter what, if if you show up and you're just going through the motions, um, that's no good. And I know we've all been there. But I just thought this book hit on some really good points, um, kind of taking a different route. I have some really exciting things planned for Sound and Worship, especially this podcast and uh, another video idea coming out. I know if you're on YouTube, you're probably like, why am I subscribed? Um, but if you're not, head over to YouTube and subscribe because there will be a, a video that I've put a lot of work into uh, coming out. Should be something that would be something you could share and, and really... I hope that at least that it's really thought provoking. Um, so be on the lookout for that. Have some other uh, things that I'm working on. Some more satire. Really utilizing that to um, to get people to think, almost like in a parable sort of a way, um, to think about certain things. Of course, I have a couple of articles. One of them I've announced and was the the subject of last episode, uh, talking about the uh, the five week prophetic school. Prophetic worship school from the 1700s. Obviously, that's fake because they didn't have crazy stuff like that like we do today. I'm sure they had some crazy heresies and stuff in that day, but you know, I like to think it's it's pretty strange nowadays as well. So we have that, and if you're unfamiliar uh, with what's on SoundandWorship.com, head over there now. Uh, there's a section there to click on for commentaries, so you can look at uh, a ton of worship songs and, and just a short commentary about each one of them. Maybe you heard a song, you're unsure of uh, the source, and you want to know who sings it and what the song is about. Um, you can get my take on all of the songs right now, uh, and I've invited others to come and, and comment on the songs as well, but you can get my take for what it's worth and compare it to the truth of Scripture, because I am not the standard, right? But you can go there and, and maybe get a good start on uh, songs that you might be curious about. You can also check out the Sound and Worship playlist. Uh, it's a playlist that is maintained by myself and the great, great suggestions that come from the Sound and Worship Facebook group, which you should also join if you have not. Uh, I think we're up to around 1,600 uh, members in that group, so... Really awesome stuff. There's some really good discussions, and for the most part, it goes pretty well. You can also check out the blog articles on Sound and Worship. If you want to uh, just read about worship music topics, that's where you'll find the satire that's coming out as well. So do that if you have some free time. Of course, you can check out this podcast, and I really would appreciate your help in sharing this podcast and, and the material on Sound and Worship. Without you guys, it wouldn't go anywhere. People wouldn't hear any of the content from Sound and Worship. So I really appreciate it. We have a Patreon as well. If you feel like supporting Sound and Worship in that way, you can do so. Uh, but honestly, uh, that's great. And I appreciate the patrons that Sound and Worship has already. Really, really do. Uh, but sharing is also a great way to help out. So until next time, we'll see you later on the Sound and Worship podcast.
lifted me when nothing else could help. Love lifted me. Love lifted me. Love lifted me when I.